episode of Community Matters Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. It's pool season. Community associations with pools are struggling with the same situation that public pools and some local beaches are facing, a shortage of lifeguards. So is it still safe to open the pool? Today's conversation will cover the legal and liability issues regarding operating pools with or without lifeguards. Joining me for today's podcast are Brendan Whelan, CIRMS, with Smith Insurance Associates, a division of Brown and Brown Metro, and the secretary of the Keystone Chapters Board of Directors, and Neil Hilkert, Esquire, an attorney with Reidenbach and Associates, LLC, and a member of the chapter's communications and content committee. Welcome to Community Matters Podcast, and please tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Tony, good morning. Thank you. Brendan, good morning as well. Uh, my name is Neil Hilkert. I'm an attorney with Reidenbach and Associates. Uh, as Tony mentioned, I'm a member of the CAI Communication and Content Committee. I've been a member for a number of years, as well as other committees. And our practice of law is devoted uh, primarily to community associations, both in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and state of New Jersey, uh, where we represent a number of associations in both those jurisdictions, both in representing the association itself, some builders, developers, as well as some individuals, uh, as well as in litigation matters affecting associations. And my name is Brendan Whalen. I'm with Smith Insurance Associates. Uh, I've been in insurance for about 12 years. Uh, my firm is dedicated to working with associations. We work with about a thousand associations. We are a broker, so I represent a number of different carriers. Uh, and I've been a uh, We've been Diamond members for CAI for almost four decades at this point. Thank you both. It's great to have you both with us for this important topic. So let's start with the obvious first question. Is it advisable for a community association to open a pool without lifeguards present, Neil? So Tony, as you mentioned in the introduction, this is a challenging year, 2022. Although many associations have budgeted for lifeguards, they have found once the season began, they simply are just not available. The contractors cannot provide those resources. So just going back for a moment regarding the duty of the executive board of the association, their duty, as we all know, both in the governing documents and the, the Uniform Plan Community Act or Uniform Condominium Act, whichever is applicable, to act in the best interest of the association using sound business judgment and prudence in handling the affairs of the association. So that's a challenge that the board is faced with. Do we proceed, even if we budgeted for lifeguards, to proceed in opening our pool without lifeguards since they simply are not available this year? Some associations for a considerable period of time have operated without lifeguards, so this is nothing new for them. They put in place the appropriate insurance coverage, policies and procedures, rules and regulations, and other things necessary to maintain and operate the pool without a lifeguard. But for those that have rather complex communities with considerable assets, particularly pool assets, with large memberships, where having a lifeguard on duty is really necessary for both the protection of the association members, 
but also the asset itself, the pool, its operation, the amenities with the pool, so on and so forth, it's a considerable question. The one of the challenges in addition to liability for the association is can we operate safely and securely, but also to satisfy the needs of the unit owners? Obviously, since the pool can be an expensive item, each percentage of dollars that are attributed to pool operations could be considerable. And therefore the association members will protest saying, we pay a considerable part of our assessment dollars each and every month, each and every year to pay for the maintenance, repair and upkeep of the pool, and we expect to use it. So with that thought in mind, a number of our association clients have proceeded to open the pool without a lifeguard. It's not the best practice. Obviously the best practice is to have a professional, a trained lifeguard in place to control behavior as well as manage the facilities. But in spite of that, a number of the associations have simply had to develop and implement policies and procedures, rules and regulations to address that issue in 2022. Not the best practice, but to some extent, maybe the only viable option to meet the needs of the association membership. And we're gonna to get to those, those rules and regulations uh, in this conversation, but let me ask Brendan, is there, is there an insurance advantage to having lifeguards present? Yeah, I mean, I think the key advantage to having lifeguards present is that you're able to defer a lot of the risk from the association and ultimately management company off the master policy. Um, so for an example, we had an association many years ago that unfortunately had a pool fatality and it ultimately ended up being a $6 million lawsuit and everyone was named, as you can imagine, um, the management company, the association, the lifeguard company, everyone. And for the association and management, there ultimately was no liability. Their, uh, all of the liability was deferred onto the lifeguard company and their policies. So they paid out a $6 million lawsuit while the association and the, uh, and the management company were, uh, had nothing on that. So the, the ability to transfer liability is a huge uh, advantage to having lifeguards. Additionally, for, uh, to, to a lesser extent, they're also there to prevent property damage. There's somebody on site that can make sure that, uh, that nothing from a property standpoint is damaged. But the primary advantage is from a liability standpoint. Let me ask a follow-up, and, and I'd be interested in both of your, your, your comments on this. Is there a greater liability when lifeguards are not present? Yeah, Tony, just to follow up on what Brendan said, uh, definitely we've consulted with our clients and advised them that if a lifeguard cannot be present, uh, Brendan points out there is greater liability. And that's the first thing they need to do, particularly if their policy might have been based on the fact that they did budget for and plan for. And obviously the insurance contract included the consideration that a lifeguard company and lifeguards were going to be on duty during uh, summer of 2022. First thing they should do is, is, in order to address any potential liability issues, is contact their broker, Brendan, the carrier, underwriting, and get an opinion as to what impact uh, it will have on insurance coverage, if any, if a lifeguard is not employed. Brendan, do, do rates change if based on presence or not of a lifeguard? 
So surprisingly, the carriers uh, are relatively lenient when it comes to this point from a, a coverage standpoint and a premium and rate standpoint. Uh, all they really want to see ultimately is that the association is following and meeting local guidelines and ordinances. So that's really step one is making sure that you are not required per your township or municipality to have a lifeguard present. If you are not, then uh, from a carrier standpoint, you can proceed whichever way uh, you see fit, whether that is to have a lifeguard or to not, because ultimately they will not negatively impact your coverage or take away coverage, and they will not charge you additional rates for uh, choosing to, uh, to not have a lifeguard, as it were, as long as you are in adherence with your, your ordinances and, uh, and local guidelines. Let's assume for a moment that I'm a member of a community association board and we're about to open our pool for the summer. What are the most important fact factors that I should consider when weighing whether or not to use lifeguards? So Tony, one of the first ones is to consider the risk, which we've already addressed to some extent. What degree of liability will have increased as a result that lifeguard is not present? And if that is going to happen, and likely it is going to be the case, we're going to have greater liability just because will be some degree of, of behavior that's not being controlled. We all remember the years of being at the pool when we were younger and the lifeguard was there advising, don't run, don't dive, and a whole bunch of other things the lifeguards do to make sure that the place is as secure and safe for all those attending as possible. So when you remove that factor, risk is going to go up. What can the association do to still minimize that risk and protect not only themselves from liability to whatever extent they can, but also to protect the association members. What our association members have tried to do is revise their rules and regulations, implement better practices that try to restrict behavior, broadcast at the association membership in advance, let them know no lifeguard is on duty, swim at your own risk, but here's the behaviors that you need to control and follow these rules and regulations, these guidelines while you're at the pool. Some of associations that have the resources to do so have implemented some additional practices such as security cameras and monitoring systems. That has helped a great deal because in those cases where there have been situations where uh, there has been some risk, there has some, been some inappropriate behavior, because of the rules and regulations and the particular sanctions that the association members have been made aware of, the board has been able to review those tapes and discern whether or not a violation occurred and how best to control that behavior if they can, but, but at the very least to sanction those individuals who might have been responsible for perpetrating that behavior. That helps to send the message that it is being monitored, it is being controlled, and those individuals that violate can be sanctioned. So that's some of the things that uh, a board can do even when a lifeguard is not on duty. And there's a few others that we can discuss later on. And Tony, I would add to that as far as important factors to consider. Obviously, availability is a, is a major factor, and that's something that they've dealt with the last couple of years as we addressed in the opening. Um, are lifeguards you know, present and able, are we able to get them? Uh, do those lifeguards and the ones available, do they have proper certifications that are required to do the job in an effective manner? And then, as I mentioned earlier, I think the biggest one is, is are you in adherence with those local guidelines and ordinances? Neil, let me ask you about a what I would call a hybrid situation. A community association opens its pool 
using life lifeguards only on certain days and during certain times. Again, because of availability, maybe they can't get a full-time lifeguard. Does this change the legal and liability situation at all? It does and doesn't. So each situation is different. We had one particular um, community that had the opportunity to have a lifeguard several days during the week, but not full time. One of the benefits of taking what's available, if that's your only option, is, is twofold. Number one, to Brenda's point earlier, that there may be township municipal requirements, least of which is the sanitation and water status, water purification and pH status of the pool. Uh, one of the biggest problems or largest problems is to have younger children in the pool that can contaminate the pool. That's clearly a Department of Health issue in the respective county. I have seen where they'll shut down the pool. The pool has to be drained. It has to be cleaned. Uh, the public uh, entity or person that's responsible for ensuring that the pool is safe again will have to wait till the pool's filled, properly, chemically treated, and then they'll test it to see if it can open. And that takes several days if we're lucky. So that's one issue that uh, certainly having someone on site can help minimize that. In the case where there was a lifeguard only available a couple of days, what the association decided to do was to make those days uh, days where younger children could come to the pool uh, with additional supervision. So if they were visiting with their, with their family, other friends, grandparents, so on and so forth, it gave some assurance to those family members that the younger child did have some supervision. It also gave the opportunity for the association, as I said before, to monitor the children's behavior and hope, hopefully maintain the cleanliness and sanitation of the pool while they were there. Uh, so does it create additional liability uh, for the other days and no one's there? Again, it goes back to if you handled the situation as best you possibly can to minimize liability with rules, regulations, policies, procedures, equipment, uh, such as I said, with cameras, uh, maybe a direct line to 911 is an emergency number, uh, portable defibrillators in the case of an emergency, all those kinds of things could help reduce liability. But having a lifeguard, even a couple of days, again, appropriately utilized and managed is probably a better practice than not having one. And Tony, I'll just add to that from a director's and officer's liability standpoint, um, you can certainly have a hybrid situation, but find, having as much consistency is critical because once things turn gray, or uh, you're not sure one way or the other what the decision is going to be, depending on what day you go to the pool, uh, that's where directors and officers can get in trouble with their decisions. So keeping things as clear and consistent as possible is really the key to avoiding liabilities from a, from a board standpoint. Do the pool rules and regulations that should be published to all association members change if a lifeguard is not present? Yes, Tony, as I mentioned previously, and let me just add a few things to that. Yes, they should change without a doubt. You have additional considerations, additional risks, and therefore you want to implement additional policies and procedures to try to minimize those risks. Getting that to the public in advance of the pool opening, if that's even possible, or as soon as possible after the pool's open is critically important. So everyone is aware of the new policies and procedures and the risks that the association is going to uh, undertake by allowing the pool to open without full-time lifeguards. Everyone in the association that pays common interest assessments or has a duty to pay common interest assessments has a vested interest in that pool operation and can help to a certain extent in making sure that behavior is appropriate and, and to what extent they can help with that process 
is having the knowledge and the understanding of how the association is going to proceed without a lifeguard. So simply getting that information out early as possible is very important. The second part of that is posting all those rules and regulations that are material to a situation where there is no lifeguard is also important. Some of the carriers, Brendan, I'm sure is aware of this, have, have recommended certain language be posted at the pool itself. So again, we're looking at those things that, that can be done, that should be done to minimize the liability of the association in either, in either condition with lifeguards and particularly without lifeguards. But again, you can take certain precautions to minimize that risk and help everyone be aware that they will have some interest here in helping the association operate this pool in an efficient, effective, and safe way. Brendan, when an association is hiring a lifeguard, is there anything from an insurance standpoint that they should be aware of? Yeah, I mean, the first thing they're going to want to do is collect a certificate of insurance from that company to determine what level of coverage they have and that it meets all the qualifications. But the, the other bigger component of this is to really review the contract that you sign with the lifeguard company. There are a lot of pitfalls uh, as it pertains to insurance or transfer of liability. Uh, you want to make sure that the association is an additional insured. You want to make sure that all indemnification and hold harmless language is in favor and written in favor of the association. You also want to make sure that the contract specifies certain limits. Now, what those limits are can vary depending on the association, but regardless, you want to make sure that there is language that talks about how much general liability they have, how much workers' compensation they have, whether or not they have business auto, if it's applicable. Um, certainly, you would want an umbrella in the case of a lifeguard company. So you want to make sure all of that is specified in the contract up front. Because I will tell you, I review a lot of pool management and lifeguard contracts, and very frequently, they are written in a way that is almost the exact opposite of anything that the association should sign. Very frequently they're written where the association is actually assuming all the negligence, um, even in cases of negligence for the lifeguard company. So really you wanna make sure that you get a good eye and, and contact your attorney, make sure that they review that along with your insurance broker so that they, uh, you're not signing a contract that puts you in a, in a bad place as it were. There's a lot of um, risk involved in operating a pool for obvious reasons. Um, what are some other risk management recommendations for pool safety that you would have for community associations, Brendan? Yeah, so Neil mentioned quite a few good ones as far as cameras and, uh, and things like that. Um, posted signs is a critical element and you are required to have those per, uh, per most insurance contracts. Uh, you're also going to need self-closing and self-locking gates. Uh, additionally, you want to have depth markers and no diving information. You want emergency numbers posted. Uh, Neil mentioned earlier, if there is the availability of a phone line, that is certainly best. Um, and then no, things like no glass and some common sense elements are certainly going to be important too from a, from a pool safety standpoint. So this is all really good information. I have one last question, and this is a related topic and equally as, as important as what we've been discussing. Uh, and Neil, I think you did reference this in, in one of your previous answers, but are there pool sanitation 
and water quality requirements that can impact liability for community associations with pools. Yeah, this is very important, particularly when a lifeguard is not going to be on duty full time. So as I think we discussed early on, one of the first things that if you're not going to have a lifeguard, the association should do is check with your local municipality, with the township, what are the requirements? Not many, not many municipalities or townships have specific requirements for pool operation. Almost all through the Department of Health do have uh, requirements for sanitation. It's a health related issue. So there needs to be proper testing of the pool for pH, for balance between acidity and, and alkaline. Also the sanitation and the water quality needs to be evaluated and tested on a regular basis. The Department of Health checks on these. That's why you have to keep records. That's why it's important to have qualified lifeguards do that testing and monitor those and keep those logbooks and records in case you're audited, which you will likely be. Again, should there be the unfortunate interest in incident where the pool becomes contaminated, you got to notify the Department of Health if they, if, they, if they don't already know and take the appropriate action because that creates a serious risk for the association in operating a pool that's contaminated. And again, that's one of the downsides of not having a lifeguard on duty, particularly with the community where there may be younger children that aren't properly clothed to minimize that kind of an incident um, that can happen. And as I said, that shuts down the pool for several days. So check with the township, make sure you're compliant with all the other ordinances regarding pool operation itself, but particularly Department of Health requirements, which are published, they're typical, they're usual, pool companies know about those. We have been fortunate in most of the situations where there's been no lifeguard this year, the pool contractor has been able to maintain, as they have alleged, hopefully it follows through, that they will maintain pool water quality and sanitation to meet Department of Health requirements. So that's just a minimum that has to be done by a competent individual and the logs have to be kept. Well, let me thank both of you, uh, Neil Hilkert with Reidenbach uh, and Associates LLC and Brendan Whelan with Smith Insurance. Thank you both for joining me today for this episode of Community Matters Podcast. This is a very timely topic as you both know and and uh, I think our members will appreciate this information. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.caikeystone.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>